Hear now a New Testament reading from the letter to the Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we continue our journey to Jerusalem, we look at the third line of the poem. The world looks at this journey and calls it foolishness. But God's foolishness is wiser than all the wise men put together. You ever get sidetracked? Lose your focus? If you don't make your turn in northern Virginia, it may take you some time to get back to where you wanted to go if you're thinking about something else and get sidetracked and lose focus. Or I'll go into a room looking for something and forget what I was looking for when I get in there. And sometimes I have to go back to the room I came from in order to remember because I've gotten sidetracked. I lose focus. My favorite one is when I make phone calls and my mind's going 90 miles a minute. And between the time I dial the number and the person answers, I not only forget why I'm calling, I forget who I'm calling. And I say, with whom am I speaking? And they say, well, who do you want to speak with? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Because I've gotten sidetracked. I've lost focus. And there are much more important ones than those silly ones, like the one who gives up his or her family for a career. They've gotten sidetracked. They lose focus. Or the one for whom 
Material things are so important that relationships go by the wayside and they use people rather than value them. They, they've gotten sidetracked. They, they've lost focus. So what does it mean in terms of our faith to be sidetracked, to lose focus? How do we keep from doing that? My friend Kyle Matthews wrote and sings a song. The name of it is Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. And I'd forgotten that that's one of the chapters in Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People until Katie reminded me of it after the sermon. See, see, the first sermon is kind of the dry run and things hopefully improve by the second. So, Paul's pretty clear here, isn't he, about keeping the main thing the main thing in the First Corinthians text. I like the way that the message paraphrases it. God didn't send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message of what he has done, collecting a following for him. And he didn't send me to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric of my own, lest the powerful action at the center, Christ on the cross, be trivialized into mere words. Didn't send me to to preach the message with lots of fancy rhetoric of my own, lest the powerful action at the center. Christ on the cross be trivialized. The main thing is the cross. Christ on the cross, and we forget that at our own peril. The main thing is not miraculous demonstrations that attract some or philosophical wisdom that attracts others. The center is not our good works, as good as they may be. These are all dead ends. They want, won't, and they cannot offer us life. It's Christ crucified. Christ is God's miracle and wisdom all wrapped up into one. There is no show of worldly strength and power nor worldly wisdom, rather raw powerlessness and foolishness, at least according to the world. There are those who try to hide the cross rather than hide behind the cross. Those who seek to minimize the cross Ignore this ugly instrument of death. I've, I've heard pastors interviewed say, when asked why they don't have a cross in the place, in the room where they worship, it turns people off, they say. Of course it does. It did in Paul's time. It does today. It's still offensive. It's foolishness. It's painful. It makes us squirm. It's too messy, too ugly, and worst of all, too demanding of me and of us for you and I are told to take up our cross and follow Jesus. But then also I've heard people say when they have troubles, well, I guess this is just my cross to bear. Wrong. Jesus doesn't put a cross to bear on you. You're invited of your own free will to pick it up as an act of discipleship and obedience. The cross is the main thing, and our call is to keep the main thing the main thing. But what does that mean? What does that mean to pick up our cross? It means that we cannot be focused on me and my and my needs, my wants, my feelings, my this, my that. No, it's to say I'm a learner, I'm a follower. Because Jesus does say, if anyone want, if anyone want to become my followers, 
Let them deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. And by this time, when Jesus says that in Mark Matthew's gospel, the disciples have been following for quite a while, but they're still struggling. They're learning about the cost and the meaning of discipleship. And before it's over, they really will falter and fail. But they're in there trying. They're giving it their best shot. Well, what does it mean for you to take up your cross? I'm grateful that this church is beginning to explore what it means to have a gift, gifts-based ministry. What are your gifts? As Frederick Beekner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. That may be the exact place you find your cross to be obedient and to follow. Look within your church where your gifts needed. And don't say, I have no gifts. You may not know what they are, but everyone has gifts. You're here for a reason. You have a gift, and you and I have responsibility to discover our gifts and to use them on behalf of the kingdom of God and of each other here. Part of what it means to take up your cross is to embody your faith in real, concrete ways. Yes, you will make mistakes. Yes, you will falter. But it is a part of your faithful discipleship. What about corporately? What about that? What does it mean as a church to take up your cross? You see, this was addressed to a community. Do you know where this church is going? Do you have a clear sense of what God is calling you to be and to do in the future? You remember what Alice asked the Cheshire Cat, don't you? Would you tell me, please, which way you ought to go from here? Depends a good deal on where you want to go, want to get to, said the cat. Don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Or that great philosopher of our time, Yogi Berra. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. So where's this church headed? What's your call? Why are you here? What difference would it make if this building went away and there were nothing but houses here tomorrow? What difference in the kingdom of God would it make? You need to find that because that's the cross this church is called to bear. William Willimon tells the story of visiting a hard-headed Jewish rabbi friend. The Jewish rabbi was asking Willimon how Christians justify participation in a just war or a violent revolution in light of some of Jesus' teachings. And Willimon said, well, now, we've got to be practical about this. Love and justice are not the same. The teachings of Jesus, as noble as they are, when applied to social concerns, must be taken with with some political sophistication. 
Jewish friend smiled and said, I agree. But then I don't have a cross on top of my building. Here's a Jewish rabbi telling a Christian that the cross is the main thing and telling him to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, whether or not we agree about his observations on war, he does remind us to keep the main thing the main thing. Truth is, you know, though, we don't make this happen. We're not the movers and the shakers of all creation. It's the proclamation that the death on the hill 2,000 years ago makes a world of difference, yea, an eternity of difference. It's the main thing. It's the main thing. Are you keeping the main thing the main thing? Pray with me. God, forgive us when we're so busy doing good that we forget the best, when we lose focus, when we get sidetracked, when we look at the cross and say, our cross, and we say, oh, no, no, I don't think so, and walk on. Help us, oh God, to keep the main thing the main thing. Through Christ we pray, amen.